My name is John Scott. I'm a, um, a medical doctor, and uh, I practice a, a specialty called internal medicine. So it's adult medicine. So it's anybody 18 or older, all the way to 100 or beyond. And um, I am a lay elder, so I have not been through seminary. I am not um, a big theologian, but I have had 38 years of sitting under Pastor John's teaching. And if you don't learn anything from that, there's a problem. So I'm thankful to the Lord that he led me here as a young man, and that I've been able to be here under uh, Pastor John's teaching for many years and just learned uh, an incredible amount from him. So... What I do as a lay elder, I'm on the elders council handling outreach, working with our missionaries. I'm also in student ministries, working with the junior hires. So um, I've been a physician, internal medicine physician for about 30 years. And I've always wanted to do a, um, a seminar like this or, or even my own study on this. And it just so happens that I'm gonna get to share it, share it with you. But looking at Jesus' healing ministry um, in a di little different way, because Pastor MacArthur and many others over the centuries, the last 2,000 years, have exposited the Gospels, and they have explained Jesus' miracles, uh, healing miracles, in their context. And many times they were rapid fire, as we will see in a few moments, boom, 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 boom. They just happened. He did one thing after another, uh, and then uh, he would say and do other things, and then they would come up again, and there would be many, many together. But what I, I thought I would do, it'd be, it might be interesting to do, is to group miracles by medical specialty, like we would practice today. And we will see that Jesus was the greatest physician of all time before or into the future. There's none like him in his healing ministry. So my goal today is that we would all leave with a greater sense of awe and worship for Christ as we look at this one aspect of his earthly ministry and be better equipped to share um, the truth of his glory with others. So you'll be equipped to say, the next time you know, a person in conversation says to you something like, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher, I just don't believe he was God, you can say, well, <laughs> let's talk about many things. One of them is nobody healed like Jesus healed. Only God could do that. So that's my hopes for today. So there's been nothing like it before or since. So what we're going to talk, to, talk about today is in the realm of theology known as apologetics. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn to 1 Peter 3, verses, verse 15. which says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And where we get the word, the theological word apologetics comes from the Greek word for defense, making a defense. I believe, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I think it's apologia is the, the Greek word. We get the English word from that. And there are many different aspects of Christ's earthly ministry. There, I listed a few of them up on the, up on the PowerPoint um, that, that are under this area. So one thing is fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. That's one thing that, that speaks of who Christ is. Um, like Isaiah 53, all through the Old Testament, Messianic Psalms, all these things point forward to the Messiah 
and, um, and prove, and when Jesus fulfilled all these things, it proves, you know, who he is. Um, his miraculous birth, I mean, he, he came when God, at exactly the right moment, when God intended for him to be born at that moment. And uh, coming of Messiah was even um, predicted in the book of Daniel, how many weeks it was going to be until coming of Messiah. And that's, ex- Jesus came miraculously exactly when he was supposed to, and the virgin birth, not to mention that, you know, that also testifies that um, he is 100% God. Um, his sinless life, uh, theologians call that impeccability. That means Jesus did not sin, could not sin because he's God. He could be tempted, but he could not sin. Um, his words, uh, miraculous words, uh, when the, uh, the temple guard came, came to him, they were supposed to arrest him. The Sanhedrin sent them to arrest him. And they came back, came back saying, no one has ever spoken like he has spoken. And they didn't arrest him. And so that was so frustrating for the Sanhedrin. But his miraculous words, no one has spoken like him before or since. Um, his miracles, one aspect of that today we're speaking about is healing, but there were other miracles, things like over nature, like calming the storm, turning the water into wine, all those things that also testify that only God could do those things. Um, his death, uh, he laid down his life, his own life. Um, the Romans thought and the Jews thought they were taking his life, but he laid down his own life at exactly the right time according to God's perfect plan. And again, three days later, his miraculous resurrection. So that's another proof uh, of, his, of his deity. And then finally, um, when he returns in the future, that will also be a f- the fulfillment of prophecy and be a miracle as well. So these are all things that, um, that are in the realm of apologetics, but we're only going to talk about one little part of it, which is his healing ministry. But these are all things that you can study Many books have been written. Pastor John's written about all these things many times over, over time. So um, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And this, this kind of gets us started on the road to studying Jesus' miracles. So the context of Matthew 4 is um, Jesus had just been baptized and then he went out into the Judean wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And when he came back from there, um, he settled in in Galilee. And verse 23 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And news about him spread throughout Syria and brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So the entire area of Palestine was flocking to Jesus because of his healing ministry. And you can certainly understand why. Um, there was very little hope for people who had illnesses at that time of, of having any relief of their symptoms, any relief of their suffering, uh, and possibly even being cured of things that, that ultimately would take their life. They had very little or no hope. And so Jesus' healing ministry, people flocked to him. But as we see in verse 23, uh, he always had 
different um, uh, agendas going on at the same time, which was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, uh, and uh, teaching, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. So that was his main, main ministries. So um, this is what's known as a shingle. Um, this was my grandfather's shingle. He was a medical doctor as well, as was my father. Um, this shingle is probably from about 1925. Um, it is now has residence in my garage. And it's a piece of glass that doctors would paint their name on. And they would put it, let's say they live in the, the living room of their home. They would put it in the window. And so everybody would know that's where the doctor lived and where to come to get help if you had a medical issue. Um, later on, as people began to rent space in buildings, not in their own home, they still would put these maybe in the second story window or whatever so people would know where the doctor was. Um, Jesus never needed one of these because word of mouth, like I just mentioned, word of mouth spread like wildfire, that there was um, this man who was speaking in a way that no one ever spoke before with authority. Um, he was preaching the gospel of hope, the gospel of the kingdom to the downtrodden and to those who were um, uh, in, desirous of, of coming to a true relationship with God and the healing. So he didn't need a shingle. My grandfather needed a shingle, but Jesus never needed a shingle. Now, there was no lack of physicians when Jesus uh, was, was um, on earth and doing his earthly ministry. In fact, there has been a fascination with healing that is ancient. Um, the Chinese for, um, for centuries uh, perfected herbal medicine and acupuncture. And those things have, are still practiced in China um, largely, and they're, 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 they've made their way to America. So you can find an acupuncturist um, to help you with certain medical illnesses if you choose to go in that direction, or herbologists, there's different herbs. Um, the ancient Greeks were very interested in medicine and in healing. Um, one of the most famous Greek physicians was Hippocrates. How many of you have heard of Hippocrates? Right, everybody's heard of that. So Hippocrates um, was alive about 400 years before Christ came, about 400 BC. And um, he was interested in studying medicine and he actually trained doctors. And in fact, to this very day, medical students and medical schools, when they graduate, they will recite what is known as the Hippocratic Oath, which is you are vowing to do no harm, to try to do good for your patient and, and that type of thing. And on the right side here, uh, some of you may have seen this, and I, I, would, I would challenge you the next time you're driving down Roscoe and a, um, an ambulance goes ripping by you, check the back of the ambulance or the side of the ambulance, and you may have seen this symbol um, on the side of the ambulance. So this one right here. And it's, um, it's the emergency services star of life that a lot of... Um, <clears throat> Emergency departments and all over the world have adopted this as an emergency symbol. But have, how many of you have noticed the staff with the, with the snake in the middle? Have you noticed that before? Yeah. Well, what that is called, it's called the staff of 
Asclepius. <clears throat> and Asclepius was the god of healing in ancient Greece. And there's a lot of speculation as to where this symbol came from. This is from ancient Greece, this staff with the snake on it. But one of the, the theories on that is there is, to this very day, a parasitic worm known as the guinea worm or dranunculosis. And this worm, um, ha there are larvae that it lays in fresh water. People in usually developing countries will come down to gather water, step down into the water, and if they have a cut or an ulcer on their leg, one of these things will get in there and actually burrow in and start to grow inside the person's leg, which is not a lot of fun, very uncomfortable. So one of the most ancient treatments for this, which is still used today, is you step down in a bucket of water and the worm actually um, places its abdomen out into the water to try to lay more, more larvae to spread itself. And you take a stick and put it under that loop of the worm. And very slowly over weeks, you start to twist and pull. Not too hard, not too fast, because you don't want to break the worm, but you do little by little, and eventually you can work it all the way out. So that's one of the most ancient cures for uh, dranunculosis is using this stick. And they feel that maybe that's where this symbol came from. So now, when you see one of these things, you'll say, aha, I know where that came from. But there's no lack of physicians at Jesus' time. Um, we know that, and one of the things we're going to look at is the woman with the issue of blood, and it says, um, it says that she had suffered at the hands of what? Many physicians, right? So many people had tried to treat her, none of them successfully. Um, you know, that was, that's in the Gospels. Jesus talked about being in his own hometown. Um, they say, well, you will say to me, uh, why don't you do the miracles here that you did elsewhere? Uh, you know, and you'll quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. And so, you know, Jesus mentioned physicians. Um, Luke, um, who wrote two of the longest books of the New Testament, was a physician. He was, in a, he was in a, a, a colleague of the Apostle Paul. So the, the Bible is no stranger, you know, to, to doctors and physicians. But Jesus, in, in my opinion, um, um, the Bible talks about him as being the great physician. I would go even further. Well, I don't want to go further than the Bible, but um, I would say that he's the greatest physician, in my opinion. That's not biblical. That's my opinion. The greatest physician because there is no one before or since who's been able to heal completely and to a brand new, perfect condition as what Jesus did when he healed somebody. And he did other amazing things, such as um, raising people from the dead, even, too. So um, these are, this is just a cursory um, list of the different specialties of the type of miracles that Jesus uh, performed and their medical counterparts. So ophthalmology, dermatology, head and neck, uh, infectious diseases, orthopedics, and neurosurgery, neurology, pediatrics, endocrinology, family and internal medicine, gynecology, and critical care. So I don't know of any one doctor that does that to the highest level of specialty on earth now. Nobody does this. You know, usually people specialize in one thing, and they can get extremely proficient at it, but nobody did any of these things like Jesus. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the anatomy of the eye. So 
when I tell you what Jesus did to fix the eye, you will be wowed even more. Okay, so you have an outer layer that's known as the cornea. So there's all kinds of the diseases can occur on the cornea. Cornea is the outermost layer. That's that one cell layer thick layer that has so many nerve endings that if you get the slightest little speck in there, your eye lets you know about it, right? It starts tearing, it hurts, you know, you wanna get whatever it is out as soon as possible. Jesus even used that as a teaching illustration about, you know, get the speck, you know, get the log out of your eye before you can take the speck that's in your brother's eye. So that's the cornea. So there's all kinds of diseases that can occur of that, infections, trauma, uh, congenital things, all kinds of things where that can go wrong. And when it does, the person cannot see because it's no longer crystal clear and light can pass through it easily, it becomes opaque and it's very difficult to see. Uh, the next layer, this is called the anterior chamber, it's in front of the, um, the lens. And there's fluid that's produced there, and if too much fluid gets produced there, you get a condition known as glaucoma. Some of you have probably heard about that, right? It's an increased pressure in the eye. Um, the treatment that we have for that now is we don't necessarily, most of the time, are not able to cure it. Uh, we treat it with medications which decrease the amount of fluid and the amount of pressure in the eye. But um, Jesus if one of the cases of blindness that he saw was due to untreated glaucoma, it was completely fixed and brought back to normalcy. Um, here's the lens of the eye. Um, that one, the, probably the most, most famous disease of the, the lens is something that elderly folks are no stranger to. It's um, a cataract, right? So it's where the lens becomes um, yellowed with age and you can't see anymore because the light can't pass through. Um, there are many other structures. Um, there is what's called the retina of the eye, which is on the back here, which are all the photoreceptors, which are picked up by this here, which is called the optic nerve, which then goes out to the brain. Um, out here, not on the slide, but in the brain, um, <laughs> out here somewhere, um, you can get tumors and things that will push on this nerve and then you can't see properly. Um, there's an artery and a vein that go with it. If you have a blood clot that goes in that artery, it blocks blood flow and you can be blind from that. Um, there are tumors of the eye that can occur as well. So there's just any number of things that can go wrong with this. And, you know, it's just hopefully gives you even more amazement of how fearfully and wonderfully made we are that we can actually, anybody can ever see. Um, we actually out here, there are muscles that attach which allow your, your vision to be what's called conjugate vision where your both eyeballs are looking at the same thing, same place at the same time. One isn't water, wandering off, although there is a condition when that does occur. So there are just a ton of things that can go wrong with the eye. So let's look at a few uh, scriptures where Jesus healed people that had ophthalmology problems. So the first one, um, and I'm not gonna go through every single scripture that I put up here today for the, for the purpose of time. I'm gonna go more um, representative things, particularly as we get further into the talk because I want you guys to get out on time. But, um, but I wanted to do them all because I really enjoyed studying them all. But we're gonna start with Matthew 9, 27 through 31. So as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. 
Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. You will see a pattern. Jesus kept telling people not to talk about what had happened, and all they could do is tell everybody they knew about the miracle that God had just done for them in, in healing them. So this is interesting. In this one... Uh, Jesus didn't always um, ask people if they believed, although a lot of times he did. Sometimes he just, he, they asked ask to be healed and he just healed them. There were times when there were great multitudes and it says, and he healed them all. So it wasn't always about asking about faith, but in this case he did. And he touched their eyes. So that really... Jesus being the son of God, um, there's two components. It's what theologians call the hypostatic union. He's 100% God and 100% man. This is at the same time. Um, this is an example of the man side. He touched him. You know, that, that shows a compassion, that shows a care, that shows a concern. Um, and that's what he did in this case. Um, Again, I don't know the exact cause of this, and this is going to be a recurring theme. I'm going to say this over and over again. Jesus was God. He was omniscient. He was able to talk to the person, and without any diagnostic tests, without any uh, CAT scans or looking into their eyes or anything, he was able to find out on the last slide what was wrong on that eye and was able to miraculously fix it. So that shows his omniscience. It also shows without any kind of surgery or meds or anything, he just, he touched their eyes immediately. They were restored to perfect vision, perfect health. And he knew exactly what it took to fix it. Now we know from many places in scripture, you know, like in Colossians 2, it says that he was you know, he, he created, all things were created through him, right? So he was there in creation. So could the son of God recreate an eye? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what happened. You know, he had the ability to create it in the first place. He had the ability to recreate it um, when he was um, doing his earthly ministry. So let's go to another one. Uh, parallel passages, uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52 and Luke 18, I'm going to go to Mark, for Mark actually. And this is about the story of blind Bartimaeus. I know one, many of you, if you went through Sunday school, you heard the story of blind Bartimaeus. So here it is. Then they came to Jericho. And as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho and his disciples in a large crowd, so he had, he had, had attracted a large crowd there, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who must have been well-known because they knew not only his name, but who his father was. He must have been a well-known blind beggar in Jericho, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped with his entourage of people and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answered him. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbani, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. 
immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So once again, um, you know, he told Jesus what he wanted. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. There was no touch of his eyes. There was no, nothing else. There was just divine fiat, just proclamation, go, you've been healed. And he was. Um, looking at another one, um, we're going to uh, look at Mark 8, 22 20 through 25. And, and they came to Bethsaida, uh, which is up in Galilee, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. And then he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And just looking at that, that whole word restored, you know, again, you know, Jesus recreated, healed, um, whatever of the many things that could go wrong with that eye, Jesus made them all perfectly right once again, and he could see perfectly. And this time, um, he not only laid his hands on him, he touched his eyes, but he also spit on his eyes. Now, why did he do that? I do not know. <laughs> um, it does not say, but it just shows that there were different, different ways and different modalities and things that Jesus did differently with different people, and there was an individualization of his approach to them. So I just think that was really interesting. Okay, and then um, I'm also going to talk about another one um, um, in John 9. Um, I'm only going to talk about part of this because it's a very long passage. There's a lot of different parts to it. And, you know, Pastor John has done a usual masterful job of expositing this. So I'll leave you to, to look at that later. But I'm just going to do the first part here. So John 9, 1 through 41, but I think we're only going to get through the first beginning part here. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed, and came back seeing. So again, a little different approach. Uh, this time, Jesus um, made a little clay out of some... Out of, um, some saliva to, to give it a little bit of um, wetness so he could make it into kind of a balm, put it on his eyes, and then he gave him something to do, which did demonstrate, he had to demonstrate faith. And he went and went to the pool of Siloam and washed, and he came back seen. This caused quite a stir because um, it was said that no one had been healed that had been born blind ever in Israel, never been seen. Um, the Pharisees kept asking him over and over again, what happened? 
who, what, uh, you know, they, they just, and he finally told them, he said, look, I've told you many, several times now what happened. You know, you need to be, you know, you need to become one of Jesus' disciples too. And they got mad at him and put him out of the synagogue. And you guys know that story. But um, again, this was a different, a different modality, a different means that Jesus used. Why, I don't know. But in this case, that's what he chose to do. And there's the Pool of Siloam uh, as it stands today in Jerusalem. It's kind of over in there. And it's kind of at the end of um, Hezekiah's tunnel. And there was water that came from there and went in there. And that's where um, he went to, to wash. Okay, let's move on to dermatology. Okay, our next specialty in our um, uh, survey of Christ's healing ministry through different medical specialties. Um, let's go to Matthew 8, verses 2 through 4. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you Tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. <clears throat> you know, there's a number of different aspects of this. Um, one of the most significant things to me is that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. A leper was a pariah. A leper was the most, probably one of the most feared diseases in Palestine at that time because um, if you were shown to have it, you were an outcast because nobody wanted to be exposed to you and possibly get it themselves. And also in the law of Moses, there were very specific um, pronouncements as to how to manage this. And in fact, looking at Leviticus 13, the priest had to almost become like this specialized dermatologist that could determine through all kinds of different skin lesions and everything and determine who was leper and who wasn't. Did it go away or did it not go away? If it didn't go away in this amount, if it went away in this amount of time, they could make a, uh, a sacrifice and be cleansed and re-enter the, enter the camp. Otherwise, they had to be outside the camp, all these things. And nobody wanted to be outside the camp, believe me. And it's not just in Israel. I mean, throughout the whole world, there are leper colonies. There are places where people are banished if they're seen to have leprosy. The thing that's so amazing about Jesus touching this person is he was not concerned in the least about himself, whether he was going to get it or not. He was willing to show compassion, love, and care for them by touching. There is a, a, a couple of books that I would... Um, if you're interested in this type of thing, um, it's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made and another one called In His Image and it's by a Dr. Paul Brand. Um, Dr. Brand was a hand surgeon and foot surgeon at the Valori Indian India Medical College um, for, for many years. Um, he has since passed away, retired, and then he passed away. But these are wonderful books and he talks about his experiences in India and the spiritual ramifications and lessons that we can learn from things that he had seen as a medical doctor there. And one of the stories that he recounts, I, you can actually get these, I think, on, on Kindle. Um, that's where I, I, I downloaded them recently to have them again. I think I loaned them out to people over the years, and they sort of disappeared from my library. I used to have them. But um, anyway, he tells the story of 
when he was a brand new surgeon. He had just gotten out of medical school, is out of his, his fellowship and his residency in England and had gone to India. And what he did was, the first patient he said, oh my man, tomorrow you'll come in, we'll do surgery and hopefully I can help fix this so that you can use your hand again. And he kind of touched him on the shoulder as he was talking to him. The guy burst out in tears because that's the first person that had touched him physically in decades. And it was just so meaningful to him. So Jesus touching this guy, uh, to me, that was a huge, that's a huge thing, you know, that he was willing to do it. And, um, you know, he told him to do things according to the law, which was to go before the priest as a testimony that the priest could say, yep, your leprosy's gone. Come back into, uh, into the fellowship of the, the temple worship here in, in, um, in Israel. Okay, let's go to another one, um, Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Again, same thing. And that, but this, this time, the, the emotion was, was, uh, was called out by Mark. Moved with compassion. He touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. This is a common theme, right? And guess what happened? Um, but show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. There was a surging throng of patients. Again, there was no one else. No one else could do what Jesus did. There was no hope in anyone else from a medical standpoint healing people. And then that gave them the opportunity to hear his teaching and to hear the gospel. So now let's talk about leprosy. Okay, so this is a patch of leprosy. That's kind of uh, what it looks like when it's localized. Leprosy is caused by a bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. Um, that bacteria is a cousin of Mycobacterium tuberculosis, which causes um, tuberculosis, um, bad lung infection that's present um, even to this day. And we stain it in tissues and it comes out this red color when it's present. And there are pretty much two manifestations and now the World Health Organization has a bunch of inter, inter um, classifications of, of the two types of leprosy. But the two polar opposites are, there's one is called tuberculoid leprosy, where the person has a pretty good immune response to the bacteria, but is some, becomes somewhat deformed. They have all these lumps all over the place where they're like tubercles, like a person has in tuberculosis, where you have the, the, the person's immune system is in, infiltrating the skin and stuff and trying to fight off the infection. And there's another type that's called <clears throat> lepratomous leprosy, where for the, the immune system is not very good against the bacteria, and immune cells will, will eat up the bacteria, but then they crawl inside of nerve, nerve sheaths for some reason. We don't totally understand why. And this causes the person to have anesthesia. So they can't feel their hands, they can't feel their feet. And it used to be thought that 
the flesh would literally fall off and be eaten up by leprosy in people that had it, but that is not the case. In people that have the lepratomous leprosy, they can't feel anything. So they don't have pain restraining them to withdraw from something hot. Or if they're trying to like, use a screwdriver and screw really hard, it's, their hand starts to hurt. Usually we'll stop before we damage ourselves. These dear folks, it does not happen. And they do things like they burn themselves. They sleep next to a fire at night to stay warm. Their hand might fall into the fire. They don't even know. They wake up the next morning and they're all burned. Um, you know, that's basically what happens. So um, <clears throat> this is a person with tuberculoid leprosy, and he has what's called leonine facies, which means the face of a lion. So he's had some deformity here from these um, infiltration of his skin by the bacteria in his immune cells. Um, there is medicine now called Dapsone, and this guy was treated with it, and you can see he's doing better. But is he doing perfect? No, he is not doing perfect. He still has some deformity there of his face, but I'm sure he's really thrilled that he doesn't look like this anymore. Um, this is a, a lady on the, um, the streets of Calcutta begging because she's an outcast because of her leprosy. And this is a young gentleman in Bangladesh who probably had something like that happen where he was either infected or burned. You can see his hand is kind of like, almost looks like a lobster claw because most of the other fingers are gone. And Dr. Brand um, dedicated his life to trying to work with these people, fit them with prosthetics, work with their feet to try to make sure they didn't get infected, and, and he really worked hard at that. But, but that's what would happen with leprosy. And people that had it, as we can see from what we studied here a few moments ago, when Jesus healed somebody, they were healed completely. Okay, let's go to the next thing, head and neck surgery. This is a specialty that was formerly known as eyes, ears, nose, and throat for you, you folks that are a little older in the crowd here. Um, but this is how they've rebranded themselves. They call themselves head and neck surgeons. <clears throat> so let's go to Matthew 9, 32 through 35. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him after the demon was cast out by Jesus, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So again, there's that, that threefold ministry pattern, um, teaching, preaching, and healing. Um, unfortunately, the uh, Pharisees never really, many of them, not all of them, because we know that some came to Christ eventually, but you know, they were finding fault with everything that he did and seeing this incredible miracle where a man that was mute, he could not speak, and he would have gone throughout his life. I don't know how many of you have been like at dinner or sitting in a fast food restaurant or sitting at a bus stop and somebody who is mute will come up to you with a card and will want a donation because they're trying to live. You know, they can't speak, so it's hard for them to, to survive. Well, the same thing was true in Israel back then. And it was such a spectacular miracle that everyone was completely amazed that this had never happened before. No one, whoever was mute, could speak. And Jesus loosed this person's tongue. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why a person can't speak. We'll find out in our next vignette. 
another reason for that, if the person's deaf, they, they, normal speech does not develop in a person you know, who can't hear. Um, um, there could be problems with um, a brain injury, tumor, um, something with the um, vocal cords. Uh, there's many things that can, on the nervous supply to the vocal cords, many things can go wrong. Again, Jesus knew exactly what to do, and he not only cast out the demon, but now the, this, uh, the person could speak normally. Let's look at Mark 7, 31 through 37 next. Um, again, he went out from the region of Tyre, came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, which this illustrates. And maybe some of you um, have noticed with some of our um, uh, deaf brothers and sisters that when they speak, it's not super clear. Uh, you may have noticed that, but that's one of the reasons why is because they, growing up when they were developing their speech, um, it's very important to have normal hearing, to have normal, normal verbalization. So, um, but, but sometimes people can definitely speak. So he spoke with difficulty, and they implored Jesus to lay his hand on them. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, looked up to heaven. With a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it, being very disobedient but very happy uh, recipients of his healing. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Um, nowadays, there are things that we can do to help people that cannot hear. Um, one of the newest things are, is called cochlear implants. I don't know if you've heard about that. Probably many of you have, if you watch the news and watch any kind of medical um, breakthrough type of news stories. What that involves, I'll show you in a minute what that involves, but um, the people that have that, um, they are helped. They, it, it's, it's very touching to see on like YouTube or the internet, um, a young child who's hearing their mom's voice for the first time and their reaction of delight and happiness and thrill that they have. Um, and it's a wonderful, miraculous, fantastic thing that we can do that. But again, it didn't fix the underlying problem like when Jesus did it, where it was back to perfection, you know, without needing anything else. So it's very different than what we can do today. Um, lastly, I'm going to talk a little bit about... Um, a situation that occurred where there needed to be an immediate um, surgery on someone that Jesus did, uh, head and neck surgery. So Luke 22, 47 through 51, this is when Jesus is being betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and one called Judas, one of the 12, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them, which we know is Peter, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So immediate reattachment, no sutures required, no two, three weeks of, uh, of bandage changes or you know whatever, it was immediate. 
So let's look at the ear. Again, this is a sort of a G-Wow fact or G-Wiz fact about how amazing um, the, the, the organs of special sense like the eyes and the ears are. It's a miracle that any of us can ever hear anything normally. So this was important to Malchus, who was the, um, the servant of the high priest, <clears throat> to have his ear reattached because the pinna here uh, collects sound perfectly, sends it through a wave. Waves um, go through the ear canal. They go to the ear drum or tympanic membrane, which begins to vibrate. So you get wave energy is now mechanical energy, which is transmitted to three little bones, the uh, incus, malleus, and stapes. The stapes begins to vibrate here, which then sends um, fluid waves. Now there's fluid within this, this um the snail shell looking structure known as the cochlea. And there are nerves here, which then go to the brain and decode all the different sounds that you've had. So um, there are tiny little hair cells that are bent by all the different sounds and all the different um, um, nuances of that. So you could hear my voice. You could hear the, the choir this morning, you could tell who were the tenors, who were the altos, who were the basses. Um, you could hear the person singing next to you. You could hear the ambulance going down Roscoe Boulevard. And you could tell all of that different stuff in a miraculous way because of the way our ears are designed in such an exquisite and incredibly elegant way. So um, all the little hair cells here or feeding back to the brain, recoding all of the different um, vibrations that they have felt, and your brain then interprets everything and says, ah, you know, that's my dog barking. Oh, that's an ambulance, you know, those, all those things. So as you can tell, an awful lot of things that can go wrong with this. <laughs> so first of all, if you don't have this, you're not concentrating sounds very well. You can have tumors that grow in here, um, you can have wax build up here. I actually took wax out of a guy's ear that was so thrilled because he couldn't hear anything. You know, very simple fix on that. Um, you can have infections of the, the middle ear here, and all this can get scarred down and calcified so it doesn't move. Um, you can have um, virus infections that affect all these nerve cells here. You can have tumors that occur within this nerve as it's going out to the brain, which presses on it, and you can start going deaf from that. So there's just, and all kinds of different infections, viruses, things can, can get in here and cause and wreak havoc with, with hearing. So again, you know, Jesus created this. And Jesus knew how to heal this in an in a, uh, omniscient kind of way. And he knew exactly what was wrong with these folks and was able to heal them perfectly. So we can do a lot of good things. They can do, um, they can fix your tympanic membrane if it gets ruptured. If you heard something too loud or something got in your ear, they can, an ENT doctor can fix that. And that's great. We can do uh, cochlear implants like in here. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do that are really good, but it's not as good as perfection when it was created originally, you know, um, in, you know in, um, in, in the womb. So I hope you're impressed that Jesus could do this. I think it's just unbelievable. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about is infectious diseases. Um, this is the Sanford Guide to Antimicrobial uh, Therapy, and on it, there are two Chinese... Um, uh, letters that that are two words, which is hot disease, because these are hot diseases. Um, infectious disease or infections. So it's things like um, 
um, bacterial infections, viral infections, fungal infections, parasitic infections, all kinds of infections. Um, a lot of times one of the manifestations as you are trying to fight off that infection is fever. And so Jesus healed a couple people that had fever. So let's go look at that. The first kind of famous one is from Matthew 8, 14 through 17, which was Peter's mother-in-law. So Jesus came into Peter's home uh, in Capernaum, that's where they were located, and he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. When Jesus came into Peter's home uh, with a fever, he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill, was, was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, and that's in Isaiah 53. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And that's part of that Old Testament um, prophecy um, fulfillment. But um, the, in Luke 4, a similar um, parallel passage was given to us by Dr. Luke, who of course has to, you know, be a doctor. So he didn't just say that, that Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. He said she had a high fever. So it was really, it wasn't just a little uh, 100.5. It was probably more like 103 or 104. And there's many things that can cause that. Um, all kinds of bacterial infections, um, kidney infections, uh, intestinal infections, the flu, you know, the flu can make you feel, the, actually the flu kills a lot of people every single year. People get so ill um, and have a high fever, malaria, um, you know, all kinds of different things could cause something like this. But Jesus took her hand and the fever left her. And whether her immune system was immediately revved up and taken to perfection to eradicate it immediately or whether he banished the infection. I don't know exactly how Jesus did that, but, but it, he immediately, not only did the fever go, but she felt well enough to get up and serve him, serve him dinner. Now, um, if you have the flu, how do you feel? Like something the cat dragged in, right? You feel horrible. And even when you start to feel better and the fever breaks for a couple of days, you still feel really tired and, and, and horrible. So you wouldn't feel like getting up and waiting on your family. You would hope that your, you know, your wife or husband and kids would wait on, would wait on you. But uh, she felt well immediately and got up and, and helped. Um, let's talk about another one. Um, uh, John chapter 4, 46 through 54. Um, we get to the point of the fever kind of toward the end of this story, so hang in there with me. Um, Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea, Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And, you know, I'm going to stop there. A lot of what we will see when we get to pediatrics, which I'm not going to belabor much and give you too many of the stories, but probably the most concentration and the most variety of healings that Jesus did were with children. And the parents are frantic. And how many among, among you that are parents that have had a child that's so sick that you would have done anything to trade places with them? 
and because you, you don't want to see them suffer. You say, I would rather be sick myself than to see my child go through this. And this, this nobleman was no, no exception. So he said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So he had faith. As he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour that he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus had said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Yeah, this, this reminds me a little bit about um, in Acts 16 when Lydia believed and her whole household believed. Um, you know, she was the first convert in Europe, um, in Greece, there in Philippi. And the same thing happened here with the nobleman. He was so thankful to the Lord that he believed and his entire household also witnessed this and they believed as well as a result of this miracle. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. But the, the fever, whatever was causing his illness, involved fever, likely an infection. Jesus banished it with a word. Okay, let's move on. We're going to move on to orthopedics. I'm going to look at the time. I think we're still okay. I think we're going to make it. <laughs> um, so let's look at Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, his hometown, when he's in his Galilean ministry, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who are following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I mean, because this was a Roman, right? He was a centurion. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go. I think, I've never noticed that before, but I think that's really funny. You know, the centurion is saying, I have men under me. I tell them to go and they go. And so Jesus said to the centurion, okay, you're in charge of those guys? Okay, I'm going to tell you, go. You know, so actually Jesus was now in charge. Um, so go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So what was, what was tormenting him? It could have been um, polio. Uh, that causes you to be paralyzed, you know, from the waist down. Um, there are many congenital illnesses. In fact, one of my friends... Um, who's one of our missionaries in Burundi, Carlin Wendler. Um, he's an emergency room physician and, and university professor there um, teaching medical students. Um, he was telling me when he's here, he actually works at County USC Hospital where he graduated from his um, emergency physician residency. And um, he was seeing that, saying that he had seen 
things he had never seen in his career um, on his, the, la, the, la, uh, the last time he was home. There, there were people that have, they're called asacral, which means they were born without a sacrum, which means they don't have any of the nerves that go down below the waist, down to the legs. And so they, their bladders don't work properly, any of that. And so he was winding up having to call specialists to come in and help him with those cases. But, you know, that might have been what was, what was tormenting this person. Um, there can be like meningitis, there can be a, an infection in the spinal cord. There's any number of things, uh, tumor, uh, trauma. Um, the person could even have a hernia, a very bad herniated disc in their back that was so debilitating that they were just screaming in pain. So there are just a lot of things that could have happened. But again, go, it'll be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So Jesus banished whatever it was and put everything back together perfectly. Um, let's look at uh, Matthew 12, 8 through 13. Uh, Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, the, the Pharisees were always trying to trip him up. And he always kind of did heal on the Sabbath, kind of on purpose, I think, to kind of make that point with them. Um, what man is among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, which is what Jesus was about to do. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. So it was withered hand, foom perfect brand new hand, just like his other one, right there, right then. Amazing. Um, recently, I saw this in the news. Um, this is a gentleman in, in, I believe, in India who got his hand stuck in a cement crusher at his work, and his hand was hopelessly mangled. Uh, neurosurgeons and, and plastic surgeons there took it as a challenge. They were going to do what they could to fix his hand. So um, they made it look like this. And he still has a hand, which is amazing. They did as good as medical science could do. They did an amazing job. But does it look like the other one? No. <laughs> when Jesus did it, it was perfect. So hopefully this guy will get maybe someday a little bit of function back, but he won't be like the one that Jesus healed that was perfect. Okay, let's go to um, uh, Luke 13, healing on the Sabbath. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. She was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. So she was bent over completely and now could stand up perfectly. This is what we do for people so that they can stand up perfectly. <laughs> These are called Har Harrington's rods. And you, you see an awful lot of hardware in there, and probably now they're straight, but now they probably are the opposite. Now they can't bend over. Um, but this is due to scoliosis or, you know, other things. We can do things to help people, but not like Jesus. It was perfect. She could stand up perfectly once again. Um, um, ouch. Um, this, this is actually... Um, my son, James, um, broke his ankle when he was in junior high. He's now 27. 
but um, he had 10 weeks in a cast and it healed. It healed okay. He had a bone tumor that we didn't know about. It broke. If he had been alive when Jesus was healing like this, um, if Jesus had not healed him, they didn't have casts. And he probably would have been one of those beggars sitting by the side of the road because he couldn't walk properly. It would have healed totally sideways or who knows how it would have, it would have healed. So, um, you know, I can definitely relate to those parents that were, you know, imploring Jesus to, to heal their children because, um, you know, that's, that's what you, you wish. You wish you could take it on yourself and, and not have them go through it. But just thankful that we do have um, medical science where they can do good things. But at the, if this was during Jesus' time, I would have been there imploring Jesus as well, you know, to, to heal my son. Okay, let's move on to the next thing, neurology. We're, we're getting there. We've got a little ways to go. Um, so Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Um, the news about him spread throughout Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So those were all the areas. Everybody was coming to him at the beginning of his ministry um, when he, um, he started healing people. So epileptics and paralytics, those are in the realm of neurology. And the way we treat uh, epilepsy now is we give people drugs to calm down the area of their brain that is irritable that causes them to have a seizure. So that's what we do. Um, occasionally, if they can find a very small area that they can um, do neurosurgically remove, then actually you can cure uh, epilepsy nowadays. So it's really good. But, um, but Jesus healed them without any of that. No drugs, no surgery. He just got rid of that focus of brain and recreated it into normal. So... Um, Let's go next to um, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, about a paralytic. And he had come back to Capernaum, and afterward it was heard that he was at home. So Jesus had a home in Capernaum. Uh, Peter had a home there too. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer any room, not even near the door. And he was, he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. I'm sure you guys are well aware of this story. You've heard it many times. And when they dug an opening, they let him let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that may you know, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out of the sight of everyone so that they all were amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So again, whether it's polio, trauma, spina bifida, any number of congenital or acquired uh, illnesses of the spine, spinal cord and lower extremities, um, Jesus immediately healed them. 
So let's move on. We're going to move to pediatrics. And you notice there's a lot more scriptures on this slide than on any other. And there are just so many things that Jesus did in pediatrics. Um, I'm, I'm really, I think, going to go to just, um, let's see, just a, one or two of them. Um, <clears throat> let's let's uh, talk, first of all, about the, um, let's see... Okay, let's do, let's do this one. So let's look at Luke 7, 11 through 17. So soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of, a, of a, the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I'm sure much to their amazement. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. You know, in, in pediatrics, they have... Um, a class called Pediatric Advanced Life Support that all pediatricians and family practice doctors and emergency physicians do. And if there's a child that can't breathe, there are certain protocols that they do to try to basically save the person's life, bring them back. But never has this happened in somebody who has been, is already in a casket being carried away. Um, I just recently got back from um, a trip to Africa where I had a chance to spend time with my friend Carlin Wendler that many of you know, Carlin and Michelle, and he's an emergency physician. And we were going for a little hike up a hill to go look at um, the medical campus on which he works from a higher elevation and be able to see it. It's a nice view. And what we saw was there was a group of pallbearers and they had a wooden coffin and they were carrying somebody away to be buried. They had their, their big hose that they were going to, you know, jig a hole with. And neither one of it, both of us were medical doctors. We're powerless at that point. There's absolutely nothing that we could have done. We would not have stopped and touched the coffin or done anything because we knew the, the, our, it was hopeless from our standpoint. The, the, the fight was lost as far as on this side of heaven. But... Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it, but it's a very sad thing. But when Jesus did it, you know, it was, this person was, was raised from the dead and um, he was given back to his mother with great rejoicing on her part. Not sure what happened to him, not sure why, um, you know, this, um, this young man had died, but, um, but, uh, but he did and Jesus raised him and he, re, he restored all of the living tissues, everything back to normal. And he was presented back to his mother and everybody saw it and were amazed. So it wasn't like it, didn't, it happened and no one saw it. Everybody was there to witness it. Okay, really quickly, we're gonna go through a couple things here. Um, one is endocrinology. Um, I've always wanted to talk about this because um, the word dropsy is used in this particular um, passage and it's a specific medical diagnosis. Um, and actually, Dr. Luke, of course, he knew what it was because he's a doctor. So, so it happened that when, like, so Luke 14, 1 through 6, 
Um, <clears throat> it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, and they were watching him closely, and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. So Jesus, again, what he said before, doing good on the Sabbath is what matters. Now, dropsy is very severe hypothyroidism. Uh, the thyroid gland is not working properly, and the person starts swelling up like the Michelin tire man, you know, everywhere swollen. And so Jesus touched him, all the edema, you know, went away, his thyroid started working properly, and he was healed. So amazing. Um, and I'm just going to talk very briefly about this one. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to read it. But John 5, 1 through 16 is um, it's the, the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. And he'd been ill for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there. And he knew he had been that way for a long time. He says, do you wish to get well? And he said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool and the water is stirred up. But when I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, get up pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet and began to walk. And again, it was on the Sabbath and a whole, um, you know, a whole um, brouhaha ensued. But again, this is, you know, Jesus, um, you know, taking back pain or paralysis and restoring that spine, restoring, restoring those muscles, you know, whatever the disease process was, there's many possibilities. But again, back to perfect health. And there's the, the pool of Bethesda, what it looks like today in Jerusalem. Okay, gynecology. We're almost done, guys. Um, so this one, oops. Ah, there we go. So gynecology, um, Matthew 9, 20 through 22. A woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came on behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll get well. But Jesus turned seeing her and said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. And in Mark, there, it's further um, explained, as you guys all know very well, that she, it had been 12 years. She endured much at the hands of physicians, uh, never been healed, but... Um, Jesus completely and utterly her, healed her, you know, kind of female complaint that she had. And lastly, critical care. Now, we've already had Jesus raise a young man from the dead. And so I'm just going to say a very few things because you're all very familiar with uh, John chapter 11, um, the death, death of and resurrection of Lazarus. So Lazarus was sick. He is a great friend of Jesus. He's from the village of Mary um, in Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha, who are great friends of Jesus. Um, and Lazarus died. Jesus um, did not rush to um, Lazarus' bedside immediately. Um, and he said, um, our friend Lazarus, finally Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that he may awaken him out of sleep. They said, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll recover. Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So he went and um, he loved him. He wept over him and he was deeply moved within, again, showing his being the son of man, you know, his compassion and love for his friend and told them to remove the stone and his family, Martha, they were assured that he was dead. Um, they were sure that his body was being was starting to undergo corruption, was beginning to be liquefied by the bacteria inside of it, that there would have been a bad smell. Um, but Jesus, but will Jesus, because it's you, will do it. Um, and they, they rolled away the stone of the, of the tomb. And he, Jesus said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, said to him, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. And some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. They did not believe. But um, critical care, Jesus raised people from the dead in a miraculous way, a way that I would never even attempt. You know, when there's somebody that is found by paramedics to have passed away in their home, um, and it looks like that's been a while, they don't attempt resuscitation. They just pronounce the person, and that's it. But Jesus was capable of doing this, um, being who he was. So this is kind of what these things look like. Here's a tomb and it has a little stone next to it. And not that this is the, the tomb, but this is one that's there in Israel that you can see. Lazarus, come forth. So let's conclude, okay? Um, so evidence for Jesus' deity. So this is the, remember, at the very beginning, we went through apologetics and I gave you maybe five or six different things. This is only one little piece of that major puzzle of all the things in scripture that talk about, that prove that Jesus is God. So just talking about his healing, um, it, it, it illustrates a lot of things. His omniscience, that he was the perfect diagnostician, diagnostician and the perfect treatment. He knew exactly what needed to happen for that person to be healed and he did it every time. Um, he showed that he's the son of man. Um, he touched, he anointed, he was moved with compassion. He was moved to tears. Um, you know, he, lo he loved his friends. Um, how he was the creator. Not only did he create our bodies, but he could fix them. That he created and re recreated limbs, eyes, ears, spines, had powers over demons in the spiritual realm. Uh, there was absolutely no limitation over the diseases that he healed. He healed everyone and everything that came his way. And there are many, many passages that say that. Sometimes, you know, he asked about the faith of the patient, sometimes not. Sometimes he just proclaimed them, you know, and, 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 and uh, healed them. And he made a lot of spiritual points through healing. The Pharisees and healing on the Sabbath seemed to be a recurring theme. He was trying to teach them about doing good on the Sabbath. Um, there's no natural explanation for these healings. This would have been impossible, most of them impossible today, even with all the technology and all the ability that we have in medical science today. Um, there's no natural explanation. And um, the healing was used to validate his teaching and preaching, um, as we, we've seen that that was mentioned a number of times, that that was the pattern, preaching the gospel, teaching and healing, um, that all kind of came together to prove, you know, in this, this um, aspect of apologetics who Jesus was. So only God's son could do these things. Uh, the picture to the right is an artist's rendition of the, um, the gentleman being uh, lowered through the roof of Christ's home uh, to be healed. That was the paralytic that had his four friends lowering him. But this authenticates his claims to deity, as I mentioned. It demonstrates his love and compassion. 
it illustrates his power over his creation. But mostly, the last thing I would like to leave you with, and this is most important, is this should engender worship from those who follow him and cause us to be better equipped to share the gospel with others. And like I said, the next time you have that person who says, well, I don't really believe that Jesus was God, now you have a lot more that you can talk to him about. And that brings us back to where we started, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at your miraculous life, um, your healing power, your power over nature, your power over um, over humans, human, human bodies, your miraculous teaching, um, all the things that you did that proved to us without a shadow of a doubt who you are, including your death and resurrection, and that you are coming again. Help us to be better equipped to share this good news with others and to be like you, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to teach others. And Lord, we thank you for this example of healing so that we could have our faith um, strengthened as we um, continue in our walks with you. And we praise you for the opportunity to be together. Amen.